are talking about habits. You know, where we left off, by the way, Francisco, is you had a comment. Do you still remember that from 168 hours ago? You do? Okay, run the mic. That's pretty good. And uh, he was going to finish us off. Uh, but I think uh, Brother Bethel uh, ended with a great story about uh, getting married, and we were heading to a wedding, so we ended there. Uh, but we'll start there, Francisco, uh, with your comment before we move on. Okay. Um, well, what I was going to say was uh, I dropped out of high school when I was about like 14, 15 years old uh, in, in my freshman year, and I didn't go to school for about two years. I was just working and, you know, just uh, living, my, living a life. And when I came back to, uh, and I didn't go to church during that time, and so when I came back at, I believe, 17 years old, I moved to Austin uh, under Pastor Wakefield. And uh, I wanted to go back to high school because, you know, being out there in those years, I was working at Jack in a Box. And, you know, and I, and I realized something, man, you know, I need, to get, I need to get a diploma or something to get a better job um, because... Yeah, 725 was not enough to support, you know, yourself and an apartment and all these things. It was like crazy. And so when I got saved and I really surrendered my, I surrendered my life to God, you know, because uh, um, I just got out of jail when I was like 17. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I remember leaving. I said, God, you know, I don't, I don't want to lead the same. And as I came in here, I don't want to be, I don't want to be thuggish. I don't, you know, I'm from the suburbs. I don't want to be like that. You know, I was raised in a good home, and when I was in jail, I saw these people would speak into my life. You know, dude, you're not for prison. You look at you, you're soft. Look at that big old smile. And I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, okay. And so when I left, uh, I talked to Pastor Wakefield, and my, my dad told me, he goes, man, you're, you're about to be 18 years old, and you only have five credits in high school. He said, you know what? You just need to go to work. And uh, Pastor Wayfield uh, went to Baton for me. He was like, no, you know, he, he needs to get his diploma and, you know, he can go to the military. And so that was my plan was to you know, get my high school diploma and go to the military. And um, so I've never been good at school. I've had issues with concentrating and I, I had a lot of anger or whatever. And so I could never focus. And but when I gave my heart to God, I began and I began going to morning prayer, reading my Bible and really giving myself to this. Um, I noticed that, you know, school started to become easy because I wasn't focused on the girls. I wasn't focused on, you know, being the hardest guy out there in school or whatever. And during that time, I went from five credits to like 16 and a half within less than two years. And uh, I graduated uh, this August, you know, uh, and and what and what I'm what I'm applying that to is because when I focused on God and I began to pray and all these things, you know, the bad habits that I've had since I was a child, you know, begin to go away. And God helped me not only finish high school but excel. You know, I had like a 3.4 grade average when I left. So praise God. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing. You know, uh, uh, one of the Bible verses that we have to remember, underline Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven, its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We are talking about uh, uh, how people change and that they've discovered two things. You know, we talked about deliverance, and then we said there are two things that will uh, break a habit, a bad habit. Anybody remember what those two things were just uh, in review? What, what, give me one of them. Greg Johnson. One thing. Change one thing. 
seek first the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Jesus says, let's keep it simple. Want to keep it simple. If you want to change and break a habit, focus on one thing. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Because you can only seek one thing first. Okay, we live in the age of the multitasker. You say amen. 120 miles an hour, texting, drinking your coffee, talking on the phone, listening to the radio, putting on your lipstick. And women have this problem too. And so they have, you have this multitasking because we're so smart, we think we can do the kingdom of God. Something has to be first in every life. There has to be a priority. You know why you're here right now? Because the kingdom of God is first. That's why you're here. That's why you got up and you came to church today. The first thing you do during the week is you're in church. It's not an accident that Sunday morning is the Lord's day. Amen. If you have a nice Seventh-day Adventist friend who thinks that you're uh, uh, worshiping the Antichrist because you're here on a Sunday, uh, we come to church on Sunday morning because we're making a statement about what is most important during the week. First, keep God first. And Jesus says when you do that, it is amazing how all the other things start falling into place in your life. He adds these things to you that you're never going to get. Okay, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is the random arrow, the guy who in the middle of war just shoots an arrow. And little does he know that King Ahab, who God wants to kill, has disguised himself like a normal footman so he wouldn't get killed because everybody thought he was a king. In fact, he took his kingly garments and placed them on Jehoshaphat to try to get Jehoshaphat killed. And uh, yet this guy just launches this arrow and God grabs the arrow and here's Ahab dressed like a foot soldier. Nobody knows who he is, but God knows who he is. And he takes that arrow and nails King Ahab and kills him, even though the guy never in, meant to kill him. And the lesson is there are some things in life you only hit by not aiming for them. Okay? You can't aim to be happy. I, I just want to be happy. Well, yeah, we all want to be happy. You can sing the song, happy, 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 all you want, and be miserable. You can't aim to be happy. Happiness is a byproduct of something else. Money. Oh, I just want to make money. You make money your priority, you're going to get ripped off by some snake, by some swindler, some Nigerian, and uh, that's what's going to happen to you. Okay? If you make love and roll, I just want love. I just want a titanic relationship. You know? You're going to end up with a titanic relationship in another way. So this is, this is not how this thing works. And so Jesus said, there's only one thing you can do in life first. And he says, if you do that, I know what you need. I, I can, you can have joy that comes from doing the will of God. You can, you can meet Mr. or Miss Wright. You can, uh, you know, on and on and on. Okay. And so when, when you serve God, so here's a young man who's uh, already a statistic and says, you know what? When I just decided to serve God, then doors open. What was the second thing? He said there are two things that help people break a habit. Number one is focus on one thing. And number two, 
What was number two? Come on now. My ego is going to be destroyed if nobody remembers. Rick, Glenna. Put yourself with people that have good habits. All right. Put yourself around people who do not carry the bad habit you have, but have exercise it with good habits. Okay? If you want to stop smoking, then don't hang out at AA meetings. If you want to stop uh, uh, drinking, then going out with your friends and having a Coke at the club is not a good way to do it. Right? So you need to surround yourself with people who do not have that. Don't walk into temptation. Don't walk the line. Amen. One of the reasons why there's such a dramatic shift in so many people that get saved is I know, yes, deliverance and freedom, but part of that deliverance and freedom is that you're no longer hanging around with the old crowd. You begin to develop an entirely different social network, and that social network is people who, who want to live right, that are not partying, uh, you know, I, I never drank coffee till I got saved. And then it's like, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to go down to Carol's and have coffee. And, 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 I mean, you don't realize it. I wasn't this conscious thing. I'm going to do drugs. I don't want to do drugs. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. And, you know, it wasn't like that. I just developed new relationships. And in those new relationships, we drank coffee and soda. And we had wholesome conversations. And just by putting myself in that situation, you know what? I had no desire to do the drugs and alcohol. Now, had I been one of those Christians that I don't understand why I have to cut off my friends. They're my friends. And just continue to hang out with all my dope smoking and beer drinking friends. Well, the chances are that I'm going to start smoking dope and drinking beer again. No mystery. You want to be free from immorality? Then don't continue hanging around the person that's tempting you to be immoral. You know what we do here when, when sometimes people come to church and, and there's a moral failure? I'll tell you what we do. We say, you know what? You uh, will not have anything to do with each other for six months. That's how we deal with it here. We say, you know what? Don't, don't, you're not going to have anything. You can come to church, but uh, if you're texting and calling and having little, uh, uh, you know, coffees, don't kid yourself. Once you have gone there, you will go there again. Okay? That's no mystery. I, I, what kind of church is this? It's a real one. A serious one. Okay? That's what it is. And, and, and why you do that? Because if you don't change and get away from that, then that's where you go back to. Because who you associate with has everything to do with how you're going to live your life. And so we went into the studies. You can read them or, or get last week's tape. But, but habits are changed by changing relationships. So if a person had a bad habit, let me say it again. If a person had a bad habit, they wanted to change that bad habit, they say, okay, what is this habit I want to change? Then am I associating with people who carry the same habit? I need to change that association. Fill in the blank. Okay? If it's rebellion or gossip, if it's smoking, drinking, if it's immorality, if it's carnality, whatever it is, if you really want to change that in yourself, then you simply say, okay, then I need to change that because these people, maybe not intentionally, but by their life, are encouraging 
has happened. This is what I need to change. Anybody before we turn the page and we start on something new? Barbara Hamper, anybody else? Okay, Barb. I just have a question. Um, a lot of times people have been in church for a long period of time, not, not like you had gotten saved and you cut off your old friends, but what about people who have been in church for a long time and then their best friend leaves? So how do you balance, um, I want that person back versus um, I want to hang around with them because if I cut them off completely, what are the chances of them coming back because you might be the only person in their life that's saved and they've backslid in or they backslid and now you want to you want to be the one to bring them back and maintain a relationship where do you where do you balance that so that they don't take you down the same road that yeah. they've gone down that's a very good question and and i'd say that it's the law of diminishing returns you know when somebody is struggling you know the old story where joab and his brother uh, uh were going against the Ammonites and Joab said listen if I start losing you come help me and if you start losing I'll help you and that that needs to be the attitude in the kingdom of God because every once in a while we're going to lose and you're going to need a brother or sister to come help you when you are when you're losing and so uh there that that that's good but one of the things we always say to new converts is at some point, you're no longer converting them. They're converting you. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that that's kind of where it is, where you, you realize, wait a minute, you know, uh, people don't just backslide. They don't just lose faith. Something's happening in their lives. And whatever that is, you can help them. But at some point, you know, because I've had it happen, where I say, you know what? I mean, I, I've shared a story about a, a guy uh, that was from the same church I am. He got sent up before me, but because of the geography, we were... We got to know each other even better in the ministry because we were fairly close. But uh, when, you know, he got kinked. And at first he'd call me, and what about this? And I don't agree with that. And, you know, I'm being the apologist trying to explain. Uh, but then at some point, I said, you know what, you're a rebel. And so I'm not, I'm not into this anymore. I'm, I'm going forward. I'm not going to go your way. And I had to make that stand. Another thing is that, you know, the only hope for anybody is repentance. And I have, I have persuaded people and got them to lay down their arms and say everything else and come back. But if they don't repent and judge the spirit or the attitude in them, all my persuasion in the end means absolutely nothing. Because they won't repent of the sin, the attitude that's gendering all this. You know? And so the thing about repentance is you draw a line. And every time we do that, we're so afraid because we think, man, if I do this, I'm going to chase them off. They're never going to come back. I'm, you know. But the thing is, in the end, they can't repent unless they have to, something to repent from. You know, the prodigal, the dad said, I'm staying here on the, on, on the premises. You go. I love you. You go. But at least we understand each other. And the one thing the father gave his son is right, a choice of right and wrong. He didn't blur the line. And, and I'd say that to anybody that you got to make sure you're not blurring the line. At some point, you just got to say, you know what? I love you, I pray for you, but this is where I stand. This is where you are. And if you're really going to come back, then you're going to have to come back. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, every, you know, they, every scenario, well, do you think it was right what they did? I have this, this guy, no. You, you, think, you know, he gives me his whole story. You think it's right? You know, and he wants me to sympathize with him. And I said, well, maybe not, but what you're doing is not right. You know, and the 
proof's in the pudding, you know, 25 years later. So, good question. Anybody else? If I put my glasses on. Ah, Cliff. <laughs> um, I've been saved going on 28 years in a few days, and, you know, one of the things in those 28 years, I have never really been consistent in morning prayer. And that's kind of embarrassing to say. I've tried it. You know, this is getting saved. You know, you, well, let me go to morning prayer. And you try it for a time. And then you stop. And then you start up later on. And you stop. Well, I remember when we came back in 2010, 2011 was very hard. It was a very difficult time, aside from the, you know, a lot of assaults against us, our minds, emotions, and things like that. And I said, you know, I was sitting in my bedroom one day, and I, well, actually one morning, and I just, it's like, audibly, I heard God tell me, get to morning prayer, establish something. And I was like, well, God, I tried that before, and, you know, it's off and on. It's like a job, you know. But when I did, I remember coming to you, I said, Pastor, I need a key. I need to come to prayer in the morning. I want to, I want to establish that. And that was back in March of 2011. And so I've been opening up for prayer, and I'm, and I'm saying this for a reason, because something happened when I contended for something, and I established a habit and a pattern that things started becoming more easier. You know, my walk with God, my hearing from God, my dealing with situations and problems. And so when it comes, an excellent question that Barb presented is that I learned how not to get so in depth with people that are no longer coming here because they will either influence you or you them. And so I said, you know where I'm at. If you need to talk, you know where I'm at. But I had to cut something off. And I really felt in these three years of coming to morning prayer, and a lot of times it's not that, you know, I could come to morning prayer, and to be honest, it's like the prayers hit the ceiling and hit me back in my head. I didn't feel anything. I didn't hear from God. But knowing that I was in morning prayer did something. Yes. And, uh, and so one of the things that, as far as habits, is this is one thing that I want to contend for because my kids, this is affecting my kids. They see that. And now my daughter's coming to morning prayer. And so that's what I want to share. Come to morning prayer. <laughs> I see a hand. Oh, Josh, right here. Okay, so growing up in church, I've seen a lot of guys, you know, they'll come in, and there's that, it's that one guy that always backslides for the same reason, and you're like, man, why can't he get it right? And you know, sometimes he may even give up the habit, and you're like, oh, you see him, he's going strong this time, this time he's actually doing right, and you're happy for him, and then next thing you find out, he's going back to the same thing. And I'm just wondering, like, why is that? Why is that that they keep going back to that same thing, even though they give up the habit, and they'll cut it off completely? Very good question. I, I would say... Um uh, there are two things that I would say. Uh, number one is that besetting sins are real mental torment to people. Okay? The Hebrews lay aside the weight and every 
sin that so easily besets us. And so uh, people sometimes wrestle with besetting sins, and that means the chronic issue, the thing that comes in and out of their lives over and over again. And so it's interesting as, uh, when he writes this, it's, it's written with a, with a compassion, in other words, that you know, he's not condemning them. He's acknowledging that there are Christians who wrestle with a, a particular thing. When he talks about a besetting sin, he's referring to an actual, you, in, something that if the person would listen and they'd say, that's it. It's not a million problems, it's this problem. And so it's written with the reality that Christians can wrestle with it. And the answer is not to just throw in the towel and surrender to it, but to realize, you know what, God, you have to help me. I have to win right here. And I'm not, you know, I'm not quitting. I'm not backsliding because the person that wrestled with the besetting sin, they always are so condemned because they've made so many promises. And they're like, God, I promise this time and I'm fasting nine days and I'm going to witness to 20 people. And they're doing all, making all these bargains with God. And then when it's not happening, then it's like, forget it. And they indulge. And when they indulge, what they actually do is feed the monster. I mean, so it's even become bigger, which brings me to the second thought, which is that people who backslide do not understand that what they're that they're creating a cycle of failure in their life because you get saved and you're serving God, and then at this point right here, you know, uh, you get discouraged. Uh, let's, I know it doesn't happen here. Let's just say in some church you get offended. Okay? And so that's it. They're all a bunch of hypocrites and phonies and, and on and on and on. And so they backslide, and, and then they come around and say, oh, and convicted because, like I preached last week, God's married to the backslider. There's a backslider on earth who doesn't wake up every day and remember they're backslidden because he's married to you. Okay? You don't ever forget you were married. One time years ago, a guy forgot to tell us he used to be married. But, uh, yeah, but there's there's, you don't forget you're married. And then, so they come around, they're miserable, and then they get their heart right, and uh, they, get their, they get saved, or back in church, and they're doing good. But what happens is that the place you failed, you're going to revisit. So you're back in church, you're doing good for a little while, and then guess what? Get offended again. And that's it. They're hypocrites, hypocrites, and on and on, and failure and all that. And then you're miserable, and then you get your heart right, and you're doing good, and guess what? You get offended. And, and people don't realize that this becomes the entire pattern of their Christian life. They can't stay in church, and they always fall in the same place. I've seen it happen with uh, guys with women. Serve God a little, and then they, the moment they get involved with girls, or especially girls with men. They're girls, the greatest girls in the world, but when it comes to men horrible about men they're so insecure and they'll run out uh, run off after bad guys and uh and uh and they just there's this insecurity in them and these men know how to press those buttons and and their whole christian life you know i've been saved 35 years really saved and and because of a ministry i've traveled all over and been in churches Every, you know, I've preached in churches seven or eight times. And in those churches, I've seen women that have been married three different times. Right? Because they just make these bad moves. And they don't understand that it's, it's a cycle. If for some reason you're here and there was a time where you backslid in your Christian life, 
let me warn you that you are going to go down this cycle again. And whatever took you down, you are going to pass through that way again. And all hell's going to break loose. And if you're not careful, you're going to look at yourself and say, how did I end up in the same place, you know, that I was three years ago or five years ago? It's because when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes around seeking rest, find nothing but dry places. He says, I will return to my house. Let me tell you something about unclean spirits. They act like you belong to them. You're my house. And they come back. And next thing you know, you are going through the same dynamics that where you went five years ago. Same dynamics. You're hurt. You're offended. Everybody's a hypocrite. Or uh, 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 Tupac has come, but he's really saved his time. And, and, and it's the same thing. I see Fidel and Veronica. We haven't even had a chance to get to our verse this morning, but we got to cover this before we turn the page. Yeah. I have a question. Um, <clears throat> I know this person, and uh, really good. And so um, this person has shared his heart with me and stuff. And so, okay, let me say it. Um, so everybody in life has a purpose and a plan, right? And so the people you hang out around with, you get their advice, and it's who you are. So some people hang out with older people, not older, like, but like, you know, older than them. And so like they, how do you say, they grasp on and like, wow, you're so mature, like, you know, all that stuff. And you know, and like, for example, this person, um, how do you say it, has dropped out of college like more than five times. The reason being is because like, um, like he goes to church and is in church, you know, all over the place. But the thing is, like, something does not let that person succeed. Like, not succeed in a sense where, oh, he's going to take over the world or oh, he's going to do that. But, like, how do you say it? Like, it's, um, how do you say it? Like, like, God has to do with it. It has to be everything that is, like, on, on him. Like, what he does, it's God, 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 and, like, that's all it is. <clears throat> like, it's just God. It's God. But that person made that choice to drop out of school because of the purpose for God. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, God, 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 yeah, but it's like that person made that decision to, to, to do certain things because of God, because, like, oh, because of just God, you know? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's confusing, but... Well, you know, I would say to someone who chronically drops out of school, maybe they're not ready to go to school yet. I'd tell that person probably go get a job, get a trade. Maybe you get a little more maturity, figure life out. Then, then maybe you're ready to go back. But, but you, know, you know, the school's not for everybody. And don't believe all the stuff you're hearing that everybody needs to go to school and all that. Everybody needs to get a, a skill. Now, if some people can get those skills through college, that's great. But if... if um, they're just going to go and get uh, a student loan for $20,000 and not finished. And I better idea not to get the loan. Wait a little while until maybe you're more mature. We've had people here who uh, went back later in life that when they were in college as, uh, uh, you know, young adults, they didn't do well. And then, uh, you know, 15 years later, they went back and they excelled. So sometimes a little maturity can do that. For people. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that helps, but... 
you know, you don't have to continue to just go back and bang your head against the same wall. Uh, Veronica. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about what you were saying about I grew up in church, and I, I, you know, prayed, I gave my life to God, and then I would backslide and then come back, back and forth. I mean, exactly what you were saying, that was me. So, um, and it, it is a cycle. Like, my heart was right, and I really, really wanted to make it work. But because I never took myself out of the certain people and out of my life, um, I couldn't really make it, you know? And that was my choice. I didn't want to take those stands. And I never developed those relationships that I needed to develop in church, you know? And so the cycle kept going. But and it comes to the point where you get tired of coming back, going, coming back. And, you know, it took, um, when I was in Corpus, like, I truly was on fire for God. And, you know, making stands, the same stands that God has been telling me to make, I never made them. Until I made those stands, that's when, you know, my kid's dad left. But I was like, okay, God, I made those stands. Now what? You said you were going to take care of me. And... And I'm, I'm like on fire for God, you know, I'm, I'm on fire. And slowly you lose hope, you get disappointed because it's not turning out the way you want it. So you get offended. Even though you have every intention, you know, you're, like, you're saved, you're on fire. But slowly, you know, the fire withers and I backslid. And of course I am backslidden. And it's, it's true, like, you're married to the backslider, you know? It's like when I was backslidden, I was miserable, you know? And I got into a relationship with Caesar, and I was like, you know what? I don't need God. I don't need anybody. We're going to make this work. We're going to be in a relationship. And uh, I didn't want nothing to do with God. You know, I was so hurt because I put my faith in him, and he let me down. Until God realized, he's all like, well, we have free will, and I can't force somebody to to do what you want to do, Veronica, you know, and like, even though I backslid, God still dealt with me, and I'm like, I don't want to listen, (laughs) but I knew people were praying in the church that, you know, amplified his words, and it's strange, because I heard God more backslidden, you know, (laughs) you know, sometimes than when I pray now, it's like, you know, like, leave me alone, and, um, but until I made those stands again, you know, that full circle, and, I could have sworn I would never see Caesar again because I took those stands. I was like, no, I'm going back to church, and no, we're not going to be in a relationship, no. You know, and I moved in with my mom, and I took those stands that I was supposed to, and I'm like, you know what, I'm tired (laughs) of this cycle because it is a cycle. And once I made that stand and, and just served God, that's when I saw Caesar in church, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, he really came to church, you know. And it, I remember when Caesar came to church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it is, it's the cycle. It's like, you know, you're going to continue to make that cycle until you make the stands that you yes. need to make. And, to, and then you'll see God change, yeah. you know, tremendously, you know. So. Good. You know, I, I've been here a long, long time. And when you've been in church for a long time, you see people cycle in and out. I've seen people come in, backslide, return three or four years later, God blessed them, helped them, then three or four years later, they're worked up, they're animated, 
and you're saying to them, this is exactly what happened to you four years ago. And they don't even see it. They don't even understand it. And yet you're looking at it, and it's like, this is maybe different personalities, different things. And, and it's, it's like teenagers. They think you were born yesterday. You know, have you figured out teenagers, and they're all, you know, uh, oh, no, they're just going to have cake and punch at the party, Mom, you know? And uh, we're going to watch uh, Disney. And, uh, and, and you know, and, 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 you know, backsliders, they act like, like, we don't know, we can't see, we can't tell that you're... Same thing. But it's a pattern. And it's a, here you are again. You're doing the same stuff you did last time and the time before that. You can be free, like Veronica says. You can be free. I've known, I knew a guy who, uh, when I got saved, was radically saved, on fire for God. And one time, we, we, we used to have these little Bible studies. We'd go street preaching, and sometimes we'd have a little Bible study before. And I remember him telling us, you know what, fellas? He said, I was saved on fire for God, and then one day I just backslid. That totally depressed us. Like, what? You mean you can be out? And then just one day, just like, like, you just wake up in the morning and tend to serve God and, you know, like there's this backsliding monster that was lurking and, uh, no! And just, you know, and, uh, and the thing is, he was on fire and then one day, guess what? Excellent. Then, you know, we were on the streets and there he was, drunk on the side of the street, you know, same guy we used to street preach with. And about a, less than a year later, he came back on fire, back out there with us. And about six months later, we're out on the streets, and there he is, passed out on the side of the road. Here's the amazing thing. He did come back. The next time he came back, I think uh, Yolanda and I were already door directors, and, and he came back. And, and I got to be honest with you, a lot, I mean, I was, I was a bit skeptical. I hear he is, are we going to, you know. But you know what, that was... Oh, 32 years ago, and he's still saved, serving God today. Cycle broke. Mr. Medrano. I guess uh, I want to say uh, one thing is that, okay, when I was a young man for many years, uh, I was very uh, negative, and I gave me giving trouble. I didn't understand a lot of times why until one day I joined the service and I met this uh, friend of mine that she was all positive and we used to go out different places and we'd be talking and he'd be saying, there you go again. You're negative. And I, you know, it got to a point where he kept on saying, telling me that I was negative. And one time I wanted to hit him because, you know, he made me mad. But then finally I caught on, I says, okay, now I understand. And now these days, what got me in, in, into not getting in trouble no more is I can get anything that is negative and turn it into a positive. And that's really been a, a wonderful thing in my life just by meeting this friend and admitting that I was wrong and she was right. That was a good friend of mine. It's helped me for the rest of my life so far. Thank right. God. Very good. Amen. Okay. Um, okay, we got to turn the page now. I want to talk to you uh, today and next week then about the subject of uh, 
establishing good habits. Go ahead, Gilbert. We're finally going to get to the verse here. I had forgot about you. Luke 4, 16 through 19. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, um, we're going to talk uh, about establishing good habits. John Henry Jowett, a great preacher from the 19th century, said... He wrote a book called If I Were Young, and each chapter is different things he would do if he was young again, and one of them was I would form good habits. And so this is the thing. We, what we've learned about habits is that habits are just pathways, and when you repeat a certain path, then you create a clearing. You create a process where that becomes easier and easier. You can create pathways in your life that at first are hard, okay? If you were to go down into a jungle with your machete, you would have to hack your way through the jungle to get there. But as you repeat that path, then the vegetation is now smaller. And the more you do that, the more you trample it underfoot. And pretty soon, you have a pathway. That is how we work. That means that everybody here can choose your habits. But it's going to take some work. You're going to have to figure out a path and then repeat that path. And the more you repeat it, the easier it will become to go down that path. Remember what we said, 40% of the decisions you make on any given day are simply habits. That's it. If you could create good pathways, then there would be a lot of positive things that you can do that are not hard for you to do. How many people here are early risers. I mean, it's not hard for you to get up early in the morning. Let me see your hand. Okay. I mean, how many of you are not? No, don't put your hand up. You wake them up and tell them to put their hand up, you know. And so the, the fact that you're an early riser, that means that, that, that that's not a struggle for you. You know what, that, that's a habit. You're in the habit of waking up at, at 5 o'clock in the morning. You are a rooster. And uh, you, you automatically, that, that, that's a positive. That's a good habit that you're into. If you're not, uh, you know, Pastor, I'm an afternoon person. You know, uh, you know I'm not good in the morning. It's a bad habit. Okay, your body is just trained to stay up later and get up later. You can retrain it. And so you can have these positive habits in your life. And so that's what we want to talk about. I read a very interesting story. Um, and what it was, it's about Pepsodent. Do you know that around 100 years ago, people didn't brush their teeth? I should have pondered that just for a minute, okay? People didn't brush their teeth. There was no toothpaste or anything like that. And what happened is a company had invented what they called Pepsodent, and uh, this was this idea of, of putting this kind of soap in your mouth and then using it to brush your teeth. And, and, but this was an entirely new concept, something that people 
didn't understand, and so they tried to market it, and nobody saw the need for it. In fact, in World War I, the number one reason why soldiers or uh, men were rejected for the military was their teeth. People had very, very bad teeth. Even as young people, they had very bad teeth. And, and so what happened is they, even though they had this product and they knew that there was, there was a need, they didn't know how to market it because people were not in the habit of brushing their teeth. And what they did is they went out and they hired the number one marketer in the, in the world. And they presented this guy, we have this product, Here's the thing, but people don't know how to brush their, they, they, they don't think that. And what this man did is he began to implement a marketing plan to create in people the habit, a good habit of brushing your teeth. And so here we are today. Most of the world brushes their teeth. It is, it is now ingrained in most of us, you know, to... <laughs> Say, I mean, that is what you do, but you don't realize 100 year, uh, up until 100 years ago, nobody did it. And you know how he, you know how, how what he did, how he, how he created the habit of brushing your teeth? He made people paranoid about their teeth. He began to run ads about the film that grows on your teeth overnight. And, and, it's, and it created a hysteria, bacteria in your mouth, and, and, and he created hysteria. Then, they, of course, they create the need, and then they offer the solution to the need. And what that did is, when, in, this, in this marketing program, this idea that, uh, that your mouth is filled with billions of germs on the inside, warring factions that are going on, nuclear war, and, 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 and people were like, oh, you know, and, and then, but paps it in. And, and they managed to turn, and so here we are today, this habit that's been formed, all because they said, hey, we, we can get people to have good habits. That people can change, and they can establish things that were not previously there. One of the wrong conclusions that we have is that we tend to associate the word habit with bad things. We have a negative perspective. And, and I think this is a real issue. Mr. Medrano mentioned that he was a negative person until this individual began to challenge that mentality. Now, how many know we all deal with that? See, many people believe it is easier to sin than it is to serve God. Amen. Let me say that again. There are many people who believe it's easier to sin than it is to serve God. They're absolutely convinced that they're, they're, coming to church is like going to the gym. It's just, you know, I need to do it. I don't want to do it, but I want to, you know, I, I, and, and so you come. It's like, you know, here you are, and you're just doing your time, man. You got you to gotta do your reps, you know, let's go, you know, get this out of the way. And, and in their mentality, it is easier to sin than to serve God. That, that, you know, uh, it's, you know, a lot of times when you have a, a spouse, you know, a wife whose husband's not serving God, why does he get to have all the fun? That somehow sin is easier. And so as a result of that, you create a mindset where it's impossible to serve God because in your mind, your habits are sinful. And that serving God is a constant war against your habits these natural pathways that you want to take, 
And we don't understand that, you know what, serving God, I can create positive pathways rather than that. So you see, there are people here that it would be easier to go to the club or go to the dance, sit down and watch a rated R movie, to be totally carnal. And there are other people here, if you were made to go do those things, you'd be absolutely miserable. They get me out of here. Hey, come on, I want you to go to the club and sit down and, and, uh, and just, you know, and just kind of, and, and there are people, you, you know, you might, you'd rather go to the penitentiary to be made to do that because that is not a habit of yours. Eddie Roosevelt. Eddie Roosevelt is an amazing man. I read his biography years ago. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was a sickly child. He was already, you know, he couldn't see. He was wearing glasses as a child. He had severe asthma. And, and uh, his father was a well-off businessman who traveled. So he was raised mainly by his mother and his grandmother. He was a mama's boy. And he was grow, grew up in wealth in Manhattan, right, in the heart of New York City. And he was basically a pampered mama's boy, sickly child, and couldn't breathe. Uh, but early on in his life, this little boy decided, I refuse to be, I, he hated being this way. And so what they did is they sent him up north to get some fresh air, and he met an outdoorsman. And so this outdoorsman began to challenge him and say, come on, and begin to take Teddy Roosevelt on hikes. And he would go out there, and he embraced this. And even though he had these bad lungs, he decided, what I'm going to do is, I, you know, he was this pampered rich kid in New York City. But when he went out there, he said, I, I like this. He admired this outdoorsman. And so this guy took him on hikes, and he began to go out. He began to expand his lungs, and he became totally enthralled with the outdoors uh, outdoorsman lifestyle. He became a naturalist. He became fascinated with plants and bugs. He began to get little critters and stick them in jars uh, until he collected thousands of them. By the time he was 19, he was considered the greatest naturalist in America because he had become so fascinated with the outdoors. He became known as the fitness president, the president's council on physical fitness. You know, all that was rooted in Teddy Roosevelt who began to challenge America to start exercising and and when people think about Teddy Roosevelt, they think of him charging up San Juan Hill, uh, you know, and uh, the, the, uh, riding his horse, uh, the outdoorsman, exercise, and all these things that that was not his habit as a child. It was the exact opposite, but by the, an act of his will, he said, I'm going to form good habits. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can change. And so the mentality is, you know, in our society, that's the way I am. You're trying to change me. Uh, you know, you need to grow up, quit being a mama's boy. You need to grow up. You're trying to change me. You're judging me. You're a hater. No, 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 no. You need to change your habits. You're sleeping in. You need to wake up in the morning. You're trying to change me. You're a hater. You can form good habits. We're running out of time here. Galatians 5.16. Let's just get that one. 
Anybody want to read that? Anybody want to read that? Andrew Glenna. Galatians 5.16. Now in our text, the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That is who the Lord Jesus was, okay? He had this habit, his custom, synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. I mean, that's a fascinating verse because it tells us that Jesus had habits. He had a pathway that he walked over and over again. Not all habits are bad. There, are, there can be good habits established in our lives. And by the way, mom and dad, you can establish good habits in your children's lives. Because this was his custom, meaning this is how he was raised. Train up a child in the way they will go. And uh, when they're old, uh, they will not depart from it. So that means you cannot make your kids serve God. You cannot make your kids do the right thing. But you can establish some godly habits in their life. You can put that in them. You can install that right now. Download that into their spiritual hard drive, this program that says you're a Christian and Sunday belongs to the Lord and that's what we're doing. You can download that in their lives. By having walked that path over and over again, it will become the path that they naturally choose. Amen. Go ahead, Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I love this verse because how do you overcome the lusts or the appetites, the desires of the flesh? You walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say run in the Spirit. It doesn't say jump in the Spirit. It doesn't say skip in the Spirit or dance in the Spirit. Because what it's referring to are godly habits. Okay, walking is something you and I do without thinking. Walking is something that is just very natural to us. We just walk. And when it comes to living for God, that's it. I have seen people dance in the Spirit. I've seen people dance in the Spirit and go out and get loaded as soon as the church service was over. Their whole is highs and lows. They're the loudest. One. Hallelujah! Amen! Preach it! I remember one time... We were in service, and there was this guy here, uh, and, uh, you know, just making the announcements. We're going to have prayer meeting. Hallelujah! And prayer Wednesday nights. Praise the Lord! You know, turn your Bibles to Luke. Praise the Lord! Uh, come on, brother. Come on. Keep preaching. Like I just said, turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, you know. And, and, and he's going on, and he, yeah, hallelujah. I mean, all wound up, you know, into the first point. The brother gets up, and he walks out, bored to death. Because you can run and jump and skip, but I want to tell you, if you're going to live for God, you better learn to walk. In other words, you better learn to do things that are just natural to you, normal and regular. The old saying, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk. And, and, and here is the appeal. You're going to have to establish good habits in your Christian life. A Christian prays, a Christian reads their Bible, and a Christian comes to church. Don't do those things. You can skip, hop, and jump all you want. You're not going to make it. Walk. I, Christianity, I can tell you, over 35 years, is just walking. 
I, do I wake up every morning? Hallelujah, thank you. Jesus, hallelujah. No. It's not what I do. Okay. You walk. Establish a good habit in your life. You can repro reprogram yourself to do the right thing. Okay. Manners. I know we all have to work at, but you can have manners. Hi, how are you? Hello. Amen. You know, sometimes I'm standing in the back there, and you know, when you're there, and a lot of times people want to come and talk to you, and so people are talking to me, and somebody will come up, and, you, and they'll be standing there and don't even look at them and say, hi, how are you, and greet them. Amen. Open the door for your wife. Open the door for your wife. I'm not going to try to start any marriage fights right now, get you all disrespected or like that. In fact, come tonight. I'm going to preach a sermon on marriage. And so, um, um, but, but you know, you can, you can reprogram. The, the lie is, well, this is the way I am. Okay, the, the teenager in the back has a question. Uh, okay. I just have a comment you've been talking about habits. And, um, you know, when I was training for the marathon, so there's so many analogies you can get from running. If you would run, you would see how much God would speak to you. Just because it is a race, the Christian walk with God is a, it's, I mean, it's like a race. I mean, you, you have to pace yourself. And, um, and that was one new, um, so many new words that we, you know, they're in running and, um, uh, which was pacer, uh, being a pacer. And when I first ran my first half marathon, I hooked up with the pacer, and I didn't really understand what that was. They're just like, get to this place, there's a number, and just follow that person. They will get you there at the time that you want to get in. So I kind of, you know, I, so that's what I did. I got with this person and said, I want to finish in two hours and 15 minutes. I just threw out that number. And I was amazed on how this person knew exactly how to get you there because at the beginning of the race, this is what happens to a lot of Christians, you get saved and you're running, you want to take off. And it's great, you see that a lot of times, they're on fire for God. And that's what I did when I first started. I was like, this person is slow. How's she gonna get me there in two hours and 15 minutes? And I kept getting way ahead of her and then looking back and she's behind me, I'm like, oh man, I better slow down for her. She's really slow. But about the 10th mile, ninth mile, once I passed Cindy's house, I remember that, oh boy. I felt it. I was so tired, and now she's ahead of me. And I was like, oh, man, I need to keep up with her. I need to keep up with her. Well, you know, you pace yourself for the long distance, and, and that's what I had to do. Well, end up being some, a lot of things happening. Um, you know, you can get hurt and different things. And I had to pull over on the side to fix my shoe or something. But she kept going, and you know what? I never caught up with her. I still finished ahead of 215, 214, but I would have been there even earlier had I just kept my pace. But because I was so anxious or I didn't trust her or I've never done this before, I didn't get to finish with her. And, uh, and pacers uh, really know what they're doing. They're trained for this, and they've done this before. And I just recall so much of that in the Christian walk that when you're a young convert, you just start coming to church, you got to pace yourself with somebody who's been in the long haul, yeah. who's been down that road. You hook up with them, they'll get you there. Not only young converts, but even older converts or young, older people have been here, and now you've been here 15 years, or you were raised up in church. Hook yourself up to someone who's 
been down that road, who knows how to get there, has been here 30 years because they've been through those rough terrains. They've been to where they've had to stop running and just walk. They've had to take those breaks and have somebody else hand them the water. And there's people that have had to take spiritual goo, the stuff that gives you energy to get there. Because when it comes down to the very end of it, you just want to finish. And when I crossed, when I saw that big balloon that said finish, and I crossed, I, I kid you not, I really felt this is what heaven's going to be like. We're just going to be glad. I don't care how slow I ran the very last few steps. But I finished, and I got there. And it was an amazing feeling. And that was just the first time. I've done it before. That feeling hasn't been the same. I mean, when I ran the marathon, it was great to finish. But there is something about just finishing. And we're only going to finish once in life. And, you know, you want to make sure you hook yourself up with someone that can pace you and have those good habits of just not quitting but finishing all the way through. Yeah, very good. You know, um, I will just say this. You know, I'm, I'm going a little bit long here, but I, I, you know, in a church, you always have people that think you're going too slow, and you have people that think you're going too fast. It's, always, it's funny. I always feel like, you know, we need to get busier. There's not enough happening here. Where's the fire and all that stuff? And then you have other people like, oh, my goodness, I can't keep up. And like Yolanda's saying, the issue is not now. The issue is 10 miles down the road. You have to pace because you're moving a, a herd. This is a flock, and a flock you don't outrun. You know, the thing about pacers is that, you know, one time Yolanda and I were talking to this pacer, and he, I think he was going to do it at 215, the half marathon, uh, and, and he said to me, he's, I said, well, how fast could you do a half marathon if you were just running? I said, oh, about 90 minutes, about an hour and a half. So that guy could actually go an hour and a half, but because he wants all these other people to finish, he's willing to slow down so that he can get the entire group across the finish line. And a lot of times you have super spiritual people that, I want people to be on fire like I am. Because they don't care about anybody else. Usually the ones at nine miles that are... <laughs> anyway, got to stop right here. Great morning. We'll start church in a few minutes. <laughs>